0: Time's up. Let's do this. Leroy Jenkins, a.k.a. episode 58 of Biomast. So, folks, we're going to have an interesting show tonight. Uh, we we had a, a, a lot of things kicking around. Uh, we had several would have been, could have been, should have been, and we forgot to call you guests set up for tonight. So right now, we're going to go strip this down to bare bones. It's going to be just the... Uh, the, uh, the Three Horsemen of the Apocalypse, uh, a.k.a. myself, Zell, and Pokey tonight. And then who knows, we may get hot drive by people that aren't watching the Bethesda live stream. I
1: think we can uh, skip the introductions, too. I, I'm, I
0: think, totally, I'm totally on yeah. board with skipping introductions. Or I've got one. Let's introdu- introduce each other. This should be fun. So <laughs>
1: I'm not up for that.
0: <laughs> so, it's going to be good. So let's see. Pokey, you can introduce Zell or myself. You choose. Sharks or Poison.
2: Oh, I I don't know, because you could really trash Sal, but I, I don't really want to go after you. So we'll, we'll just say that the, the guy above me on the list is the biomass official uh, tank father. He has been cleaning the treads of my tanks for quite a while. He's very good at laying underneath them and getting them rolled over.
0: Uh, Mr. Sarai Zoe. Outstanding. Okay, Sarai, your turn. You're Pokey. Uh, I'm, uh, wait, don't I have to introduce he, he has to do you, you so because- that you
1: introduce Pokey?
0: If you should, if you choose to play the game in that way, yes, that is what you would have to do.
1: I'm just saying that's how it goes. Um, but uh, so uh, the uh, person above me on the list is actually oh, crud, We have a guest. This whole thing, this whole thing is now wrecked. Um, but nonetheless,
0: um, your ability uh, to adapt to the battlefield <laughs> is horrendous. I want you to know that.
1: I know. I know. Right? That's why I, sucks
2: if I, didn't I, I, I just, just got back shame. in the house
1: like five minutes before we started this train wreck? All right, um. The man with a million voices, Jay Larrison.
0: Thank you very much. And the man immediately below me is one of the most lethal players in Dust, whose bitterness and acerbic nature is only exceeded by, well, I don't know, nobody. But he's also a font of knowledge and a uh, a well-timed guest on the show that was desperately looking for a mic check, and none of us were listening. So with that, I give you Lethal Lether.
3: Hey guys, how's everyone doing? Is my mic working?
0: It's working great. Now you have to introduce Pokey.
3: Ah, and here's Cross. Mmm, interesting. Pokey, what would I say about Pokey? Well, there's only one thing to say.
0: That little shit. Legit. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah that's, that's good.
0: Very well played, Mr. Legal. Uh Okay, so on that note, we're, since we've already right through our... Uh, our intros, if you will, Bubba. It's a very fun way to do intros. Uh, if Cross ever gains the testicular fortitude to come down here, we'll all take a crack at him and just sort of line up and just have a go at him. Um, so we're going to start off with a little bit of a CPM update, uh, and we're going to talk a little bit about the Oculus Rift. Oh, wait, we have a new. Did someone guy. say impromptu orgy?
2: Yes. <laughs>
0: all right, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, the uh, the man above me on the list, but usually never on the top, is the one and the only Cross A two of CPM1 fame and Logy Bro, Bro Extraordinary. Anybody else with a, a, an additive for Cross, please chime in. And that tells you how much you're loved since we're going to edit out that five seconds of silence. <laughs>
4: <laughs> Either that or I'm just exceptionally boring. We, we well, would have to have
0: Zarya here know. to
3: I, sink in praise. I was going to ask if your name's a joke, but then I thought it might be too soon. Oh, <laughs> You could talk about well, email address instead. There,
4: there are a few um, things that could be said about
2: that. Yeah, yeah. Do that, Pokey. Uh, well, it is crossed to 69, right? That is correct. Yeah, there you go. So you can let your imagination run wild with that one. Oh, goodness all gracious. all about the wild imagination.
3: Well, that's. Oh, you go in for the wild imagination. Well, you guys are into some deep shit.
2: Well I mean it's dust. Their crystal balling is the best thing they do, so well, I mean, go for it. I mean
0: let's let's be realistic, we're good four and a half minutes into the show, we're already we, we've already jumped the shark and skied past him in our Fonzie jackets. So I'm just uh, looking for the laser <laughs> to put on the shark.
1: We've we, remember remember that time when the show only was a train wreck when, when Jason wasn't here? We've moved past that. We've evolved.
0: No, you just have no clear clear understanding of how much coffee I've had today. So this this is all going to be clear by the time we circle down to the end of the show, trust me. So, so uh, we'll, we're going to go ahead and uh, we're going to do a quick uh, CPM update from Zell and Cross if you want to pitch in. I don't think there's a lot to, to go over, but what we do want to do is jump into a little bit of a CCP-related news. Um, once we get past Zell saying no, he doesn't have anything to say, no matter how many times we coach him to say something, even it doesn't if it doesn't break the NDA. So we'll just we're just going to go ahead and get all our we're not we're not upset with him we're not frustrated we're just disappointed. Thing out of the way. Um, we'll talk a little a little bit about what's going on in game with the uh, the comms situation. Which if you've been playing regularly over the last week, you're probably well aware of the fact that it's very difficult to a start a squad and b actually talk to anybody in. Uh, the client voice chat so we can talk briefly about that and then i think zell had some really neat news uh coming out reference the oculus program so uh could be some pretty interesting stuff that we can kick in in there and then after that it's it's kind of a grab bag it's whatever we want to talk about since we have a zero agenda tonight um and we can kind of just uh shoot the breeze for a little bit talk about whatever you want so uh with that zell you mind taking it away brother
1: i'm busy
0: Outstanding and he's useful as always. Okay, hey, Cross, do me a favor. Can you do Zell's job again?
1: I'm sorry, I was I was trying to relay our, our server info to someone and you asked right at that time and I'm like, I can't type this and also hold down the, the, the talk button at the same time. All right. You have two hands. So I, He doesn't he, know well, what that what do you think, what do you think he's doing with the other
3: one? Come on now. There there were oh. there, yeah,
1: there were jokes there. <laughs> there were too many. Um all right. Um no it's it's uh it's it's been pretty quiet we're waiting to you know get the uh, election stuff moving um I haven't heard anything um too much more specific than uh what you guys already know um but uh that's that's kind of my big priority I'm ready to retire so i'm 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 all on this election thing um we have not heard yet from uh regarding the issues with the server and and hopefully we'll hear about that shortly so
3: you know I kind of uh, I'm just speculating, but it makes you think that something went wrong. Has anyone checked out EVE voice today? Like, in the EVE client?
0: Nah, nobody I think... uses
3: EVE voice. I know, that's why I'm asking.
1: Like, if it was broken, it could be broken it, for years and nobody would know.
3: <laughs> yeah, so maybe that's something to check. Because I almost suspect that, like, the service vanished. Because there was no hotfix, right? There was nothing that, that should have changed... The fact that the interface itself won't present the option to activate voice. Uh, um, there's, there's, a
1: there's, a, there's a theory that I've, I've thought was a little odd when it was first posed, but over time I've more and more come to accept that it's possibly and probably true. And uh, that is that there's a there's a button somewhere at CCP, and they have to push it every certain certain period of time or the game stops working correctly. And sometimes they just
3: don't. I mean, we actually had that with Mag. Reportedly, they had a server with, like, the, the actual software had a memory leak, and the only way they knew to fix it, rather than doing it properly, was to reset that server once in a while. So, well,
1: I, I do know yeah. it, it, on the honest truth side of things, uh, when Eve first launched in uh, 2003, I think it was, um, uh, Hilmar actually said that there was that they someone had to be there at five at five in the morning every day. To um, reseed the market with, you know, you know, because it, it resets all the the NPC orders and stuff, and s- s- he had to push that button every single day, um, because they didn't have, you know, any sort of automated process to do that when when the game first launched.
3: That's kind of impressive. That sounds like something you could just script into a cr- like. Is it sure. cron? Sure. Like, this is this is, is CCP. <laughs> uh true i mean it has to be more satisfying i hope he he actually got like a button and i mean this was years ago so it was probably harder to to hook it into your computer but knowing ccp they they would have gone to that effort and you know hooked a physical button into a computer 10 years ago and uh <laughs> It's actually
2: this Rube Goldberg machine where they have to pull a string, and then after like 50 different things, it actually finally, you know, a finger comes down and pushes the button for them, and they have to set, reset this every day and test it to make sure it works, and then they can pull the string to make the server, you know, reset.
3: That yeah. sounds about right. I, and, I think
2: there's...
0: Oh, I'm sorry, go ahead, leave him.
3: Uh oh, oh, I was just going to say, like, it was probably a fan first. They probably said it was a feature.
0: <laughs> I know that... Um... Kane was he mentioned earlier before uh, we got on the show that they're trying to run a couple of PCs using Skype chat or like Skype voice. I can, one thing I can tell you is like, and trying to do third person com, third party comms on a console is just horrendous. It, there's, there's, there's no good way to, it to relies on, this.
1: yeah, you have to have basically a laptop you can set up there and it's still going to kind of suck. Um,
0: Cue the
4: tinfoil about this being a way to force it onto PC.
1: And Skype, man. I mean, Skype is not great for large numbers of voice participants. It works okay for a few, but after that it just kind of spirals downhill.
0: Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, obviously a lot of people use TeamSpeak or Mumble, you know, like we're doing that. That was my first introduction to third-party comms was TeamSpeak. And you could, I mean, there's a lot you can do with it, but the flip side is, there are a fair amount of uh, audio cues that are built into the game. If people actually listen to the audio in the game, uh, that you can actually that are they're pretty handy. I mean, I like having the audio up in the game, like the background and like the the weapons fire and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and, and it's always good where you can hear somebody charging as they charging their rail rifle as they're waiting for you around the corner. That's usually a dead giveaway. So it's, it's um, you know, that's
1: that's one of the things that. CCP never did badly, is the audio design for the game is, is that, it's actually quite good. very, very no, solid. I, I, I mean, they're, they've always been good at design, and I, I would argue they've always been good at the artwork. Um, it's just the game actually working that seems to be a might of a challenge for them on occasion.
3: Speaking of the squad issue, I guess the PSA about that, um, I don't know who figured this out, but the way to form a squad right now while it's broken um, is to... Queue up for a Faction Warfare match. I'm going to tell you to be a bad dust citizen right now. Uh, queue up for a FAC war match. You'll get put in a war barge. Wait until the last 10 seconds of the war barge timer. Start a squad. Once you get into the game, leave the match. And uh, it, it, took, it took me like 30 seconds after getting into my Merc quarters or more, but it finally did pop up with a squad. So the very least you guys can know that. I've seen some people around a day. Uh, trying to quote unquote sell squads, which I thought was uh, <sighs> classic. I, well, I was going to good. say disgusting, but I, I should rather say classic and
0: there were content. there were folks actually making money off that um, at least yesterday. the um, so r- before we go too far too far into this, um, I'd like to like to get a quick intro with uh at Delt. He just joined the channel. Uh, Moss, can you hear us? Uh, can you hear me? Yeah, absolutely, man. Is my audio levels okay? I didn't get to test. Yeah, no, no, we're, no, you're we're coming. fine. Great.
5: Awesome. Uh, hey, guys, I'm Maseli Delt. I ran for CPM1. I will be running for CPM2 as well. Uh, I don't know really what more to uh, introduce myself as. I've been on the Biomass podcast a few times.
0: Yeah, welcome and- back. It- absolutely, man. Great to have you back. Um, so we're just kind of kicking a few things around tonight. It's a pretty pretty laid-back show. Yeah. Um, the, let's see, let me skip back. Yeah, we did have some people selling squads yesterday. Um, and interestingly enough, what I was like very ragey over the week. I was uh, I was off work. I took a week off work uh, just to kind of do some vacation stuff this week. So I had a little bit more time, more time than usual to hop on dust. And what I noticed was a high preponderance of like two versus 12 matches or three versus 12, you know, that kind of stuff. And I had several of those. And I even tweeted about it. I was like, what the hell is going on here? So I think that probably explains it.
1: I don't believe you get ragey. Uh,
0: I get get kind of ragey for about 10 seconds and I'm totally fine because I sort of just have this, like, chi moment where I begin to visualize, like, squeezing your neck and your eyeballs popping out, kind of like Schwarzenegger, you know, in that fucking ill-fated, you know, movie about dream sequences and Mars and shit. It works out great. It's a much better book. I, that's what I heard. It's a, it's a Philip K. Dick book, right? Yep. Yeah. Most most things in Hollywood that are sci-fi related generally come from Philip K. Dick. True story. Uh, okay. So let's see. Anything else on the the com situation or the lack of com? I and mean, by the way, like, is this did did this happen? Did they put a patch out and then this happened, or is this like like no precipitating incident whatsoever? Nothing that I'm aware of. That boy, that's crazy.
3: As I said, no one pushed the button. I would say it surprises me, but you know, well, usually, that would compromise your bitter status. <laughs> Touche.
0: Well, I, honestly, I mean, usually I equate these things to like when they when when I log in and I see you know the client sinking or whatever you know even if it's for a second there's always in the back of my mind I'm like what little Easter egg that they put in there that's going to make the game explode this time uh, so I just assume that that's what this was but I I guess not.
3: I've always said that CCP are, are really quite innovative, it, it, in the sense of the game breaking in some kind of mysterious and truly novel way is unsurprising, but contained within that, it is novel. It's always something different. Um, this is pretty distinctive, you know.
0: Yeah, I would I would definitely agree with that. The Even thing- some of
4: the repeated bugs are at the same event caused from a totally different source, like the fact warfare screen hang is. A repeated thing, but from a new source this
0: time. Oh man, that's gonna suck. Um, there was there is one other somewhat significant bug that was making the war, making its way around. Have you guys checked out the issue with the faction warfare boosters?
3: I no, have first not I've heard, heard, heard
0: of it. Um, apparently, there's there's been several reports that uh, they're they're giving you like a hundred percent bonus right now. I don't know if that's a thing, or but I've Heard at least three people tell me that in live comms. At least 1.5 of those three I, I trust, kind of.
1: That's confidence-inspiring
0: <laughs> yep. there. Yeah, um, heavy vote of confidence.
3: So, so I'm probably going to take, you know, 20 lashes later to uh, compensate for my lack of knowledge here. I've never in my life actually activated a faction booster. How much is it supposed to be? It's 50%, uh, right? Yeah. Is
0: it fifty? Yeah, it works just like the uh, SP boosters. Okay, I mean,
1: I've never yeah. used a faction I don't
0: use
3: either, either, so, so you know.
0: Yeah. I've got it. I've actually got quite a few of them stacked up, and I just I've never put one on because I don't a play fact war enough, or well I don't have enough to like put it on for like a, a solid day and uh, just sit there and play fact war. But uh, <laughs> I had uh, two, like, yeah, at least two two fairly con- fairly good. Good sources last night tell me that, and then it was at least a lot of people made positive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've heard about that. Sounds in squad. So it, it's maybe something interesting to check out. But it sounds like they're acting almost like omega boosters, uh, more or less. Which I, I don't think was a planned change. I think that it literally might be a boo boo. Not that I'm not that I'm beefing about it. If you're taking advantage of it, have at it. Just realize that CCP is a big fan of not saying whoopsies and letting you keep what you got, you know, from their mistake. They're a big fan of taking it back from you. I'll reference you to the numerous times that I've signed into Dust and seen suddenly I had negative SP being accrued. The inconsistency
3: of the negative SP thing is again, one of the true fascinations. I've heard of people having that, never experienced it myself. Kind of wonder what the difference is, right? That's that's my generally.
1: It's because you got extra SP for something, and then you and then you suddenly spent the crud out of it down to nothing, so that when they fix it, you go way into the negatives.
0: Which any like literally CCP is the only game producer that I have ever ever experienced with that does that. I, Everybody else, they I usually say, "Oops, my bad. You got some free SP." But I
1: don't agree that out. they should. And, um, the reason why is because everything in a game has a certain amount of value, and that value is created due to player effort. That's, that's, the value that it has is directly related to the effort you put in to get it. Um, there's, why, the, the re, there's a reason that they don't give you infinite SP, infinite ISK, whatever, is because limitations and, and, you know, limitations are what makes gameplay actually gameplay. You know They can't just give you everything. And so, if someone gets due to an exploit of the game, or a bug that they then decide to significantly take advantage of while it's there, if they don't rescind that, then you've devalued everyone else's actual effort.
0: Mm, okay, but if it's not an exploit... And it's literally just they like CCP's boo-boo and you're not aware of it. Like, can you, like, have you, do you actually track your ISC like a bank or your no. SP like a bank account? No. No, you don't. Like, so, so how is that your fault? Like when you, you spent what the, what the, the machine told you, that's not.
1: But then, so they take it away and you're in quote unquote negative SP. Here's another way to think about it. You just got an advance on your skill purchase because you shouldn't have been able to buy that yet but it lets you and it didn't actually take the skill away it just said oh you're gonna have to catch up to where you were before you can buy something again
3: is it clear that this is consistent like it... yeah
1: it's not consistent it's that it, it's gonna be based on what you know CCP feels is appropriate for the situation at, at any specific situation
3: I mean uh, Joe's earlier question about being a banker with SP is, is pertinent here i haven't tracked my sp as closely as all that over the years but i've never noticed a fluctuation i've never been negative and i've never noticed a severe fluctuation in my available um pool it, except from the obvious skill respect
0: um well, that's the the issue with it is you w- you would in fact have to track it like i like i used to track ISC transactions in eve like i, I was a very a very good, um, you know, how do I say this? Like, uh, a, a quality amateur day trader in Eve. And, and you would, in, in as far as SP goes, because it's a continual accrual, then depending on the types of boosters that you had, and then how long you've been away from the game versus, you know, when you're, when you're signing in and you have like a little log where you check and see where, where you're at and you can do the math in your head. The thing about SP exchanges, um, and even this to a degree, but really the SP exchanges, it's because, I mean, frankly, the numbers changed continually that, and you have to track like when you got off, how much time, time has elapsed. And usually you're not talking about that much. So it would be very difficult, you know, for most people to realize whether they had gained or lost somewhere between a quarter, quarter of a million and half a million SP. uh, If they've been playing for any length of time, you know, it would be very, it would be unusual unless they were really really being meticulous about tracking it so they got to that proto suit and they were looking for their 2.4 million SP to do whatever
3: I guess the the deeper question I'm getting at here is it is it clear that CCP are actually initiating like global retractions of SP
0: yeah they, they stated that yeah they do what they, well, what they do is if the last time I remember it happening um, it was something it was a it was a bug with the boosters so if you were running a booster, you didn't do anything wrong, but there was a bug and it was rolling your SP back. So that was literally a bug fix. Prior to that, uh, I remember there were some issues when the scout suits came out. I think the Amar scout suit, uh, There was, I think the proto Amar scout suit only cost you the SP of like the advanced or something like that. So a lot of people were like, oh shit, I'm getting into that. So they jumped into it only to find out that that million and change... Extra SP was suddenly docked from their account like a week l- a week later, and they had to build back up to it. And there's been a couple of other ones I can't remember what they are, but they were much more isolated.
2: Yeah, I mean, in that case, you almost have to retract it because it's not a universal thing. It'll be the people that happen to train into that suit get a big SP bu- boost for for not changing that back. So I think for if it's a universal thing where everyone got, you know, X amount of S P extra, it could go either way, but in situations like that a Mars Scout where you uh only certain people would gain that advantage of it not being retracted, um that that's problematic and you, you definitely have to fix that.
0: Yeah, the interesting thing, I was sitting there it kind of ties back in with how you how you actually accrue S P and, and to Zell's point, it's about it's about relative values. Um I really like the system that they have in um Oh my God, totally drawn a blank. Um, Got Morrowind, help me out. Uh, Elder Scrolls. Scrolls. Yeah, I really like that where it's like you gain skill by doing something. Like, so if you want to get better with plasma rifles, use the plasma rifle more. Uh, You know, that kind of thing. I I actually like that quite a bit. Or kind of like targeted skills where you can have like general SP or experience points, if you will, being accrued. uh, But then you get like... Um, light weapon specific SP or weapon specific SP or this, that, and the other based on your usage of those things. Uh, To me, that's the skill system and the level system they have in Elder Scrolls is at least for me personally, how I enjoy these type of games. That that is probably one of the most uh, interesting ones for me to get into.
4: And there is a certain intuitive element to that.
0: Yeah. and I mean, like I said, it's just one of those things that I think would be um, an interesting take on it. It would certainly be a break from how how their current system works. But I think it would it would go back to Zell's point. It would even sharpen the value of the experience points that you gained.
1: Yeah, I'm, I mean, I I definitely wouldn't be opposed to it. I know it's something that uh, it's it's never been a thing CCP has done. Um, Eve has never worked that way, um, obviously. And um, I know it's been brought up many times that. People, you know, certain people think it should, um, and I—I I don't think it's a bad idea. Um, I mean, that's what I'm used to in other first-person shooters, and I don't think that there's anything about that that necessarily um, disagrees with the way Dust is, is meant to be as a game. Yeah, but here's
0: the question: Do you want to really log a hundred hours in a dropship? No, I mean, that, that, and that's fair too. I think a lot of it—a lot of it—comes down to what what is the the acceleration curve that you put on it, like um, using the Elder Scrolls example, I'm not aware of any other game that does it quite like them. So if there if there are and you guys have good good examples, hop in with it. But like if you want to use like a sword or whatever, um, you level up fairly quickly. You know that it it's, it is a um, is an accelerated curve. So you go through the first, you, you get very very workable with it um, pretty quickly, uh, but then it's you know, it takes a while to accrue those additional higher levels of skill or unlocks uh for that sort of class, for that sort of skill set or skill tree part anyway. So I think it's just a matter of how, how much you accrue. Does that make sense?
2: Yeah, I think that's a pretty legit way. I mean it's it certainly deviates from what we currently have, but I, I enjoy the progression system for games like Skyrim and uh Fallout and whatnot.
0: Yeah. No, I, th- I think that's I think that's probably a good way to do. it. I mean, that this this also goes back to a whole discussion about is it is it even um, is it even in the realm of the possible for them to do a uh, basically a skill a a skill tree re- rework, which is somewhat of a separate thing, and then B actually look at you know the mechanics of how how you work your way through the skill tree. I mean, I, is I mean, Zelle, Cross? You guys are probably in a better position. Is that even in the realm of the feasible? From what you're seeing with CCP,
4: I wouldn't really expect it anytime soon, just because of Ritei's focus on trying to maximize the value of de- development hours. So a full ground up
5: rework would need a really compelling reason. Well, just the idea of using Unreal Engine three to do that, I I wouldn't think it'd would be possible.
0: It's possible, yeah. I, I don't I don't know enough about the uh, technical components of uh, Unreal three to be honest. Well, I mean,
1: with you. I mean, I mean, as I, I, as I said, I think it's Pretty common from, from an other first-person shooter standpoint, and obviously Unreal is used in a significant number of first-person shooters, in fact, in case you weren't aware.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's a pretty fair statement. Um, okay, so any, any The other, top, other thing to consider
1: is
4: the uh, monetization aspect, because that's definitely relevant to the longevity of the game.
0: It's like, how would that skill system interact with a free-to-play model? Oh, I, that I could, I could crush that, and you know, I've, I've kicked that idea around. It really goes back to what do you think a booster is, and what, what else can you use it for other than what you're doing now? Basically, an SP booster, or even a work booster, to a degree. All they are is they give you, they increase your general pool of uh, either passive or active SP. What you could do is, uh, if they looked at how the skill tree worked you could have a general SP booster. So like your passive skills, almost, that's general SP. It applies anywhere at the same rate. But if you, depending on how deep you got, you could actually have like a, um, you know, like a light weapons SP booster that that you could drop into your active set, something like that. You know, you basically gain specialized boosters that only provide you uh, an additional SP marker for, whatever that category of skill is, which to me actually makes a lot more sense. And you get a lot more variations in what you're, what you're trying to do. Um, like I said, just, just a thought. Uh, I think there's, that's an easy way to monetize it. Uh, plus it also, you know, throws out something else that you can put onto a dust market. Diversity
4: of offers on the market definitely has some interest level, I would think.
0: Yeah. Now, I mean, like I said, I think it's just, it's one of those things where, um, you know, I kind of I kind of like the idea of a deeper, more complex skill system. Uh, ours is actually not bad uh, compared to, I and mean, it's actually really deep uh, compared to a lot of other games. Um, but I think that there's a lot that they could rework, and, and that would touch a lot of different facets uh, in terms of both in-match gameplay and sort of the um, the the enjoyment of actually leveling up or your know, character progression, you know, things like that. Um, any any other comments on this one? Because I think Zell had a pretty interesting topic we wanted to, to put on the table. Alright, Zell, if you don't mind, can you take it away and uh, give us a little update on what's going on in the world of Oculus?
1: Yeah, so um, Oculus made their uh, big to-do um, pretty early at, at E3. Um, and uh, their big thing was, uh, at, at least what was the biggest news to me, was that they're actually doing a big partnership with... Um, Microsoft, and uh, they're going to be uh, including, actually, Xbox controllers with Oculus Rift, and they're going to do some sort of thing where you can stream Xbox games to your PC so you can play them with an Oculus Rift. Um, which is a little bit convoluted, I suppose. But um, uh, So that, that was a big thing, because Xbox was really the only platform that hadn't announced a, a direction they were taking themselves for VR. Um, and as much as I think Microsoft probably will get there at some point with the HoloLens, which is more of an AR device, but I think that it would probably be capable in some variation of doing VR as well. Um, that, uh, you know, that may be something that they could keep aligned well with what Oculus is doing so that they're they're cross-compatible. Um, which I think would be something Microsoft would be into. Uh, the other thing that they showed off was, I guess, um, kind of an Oculus hand controller thing, um, which I thought looked like a smartwatch held sideways. Um, uh, Jay said he thought it looked like a phaser. And uh, I, th- I think it's it's really got kind of like a warp ring thing going for it. It's it's clearly got some uh, nifty tracking sensors and a big ring around it. Um, and uh, I see some pictures of people, um, I didn't watch the stream for the record, so this is all, like, I'm, I looked at a couple of pictures and read some headlines, and uh, I'm spewing, like, five minutes of rattling on in the podcast about what I, what I came up with. Um, and it looks like the, that you can, you know, use one in each hand to track your hands, which is, I'm sure it's cool, and I'm sure it's a little easier to set up, but it doesn't, uh, it, it won't hold a candle to uh, the disc battle game Cross and I played. Cross still owes me a rematch on that.
4: Yes, I will beat you at Tron and become the
1: overlord of the internet. You will not beat me. I will kick your rear. Hmm, this, this could is be this interesting. the
3: topic that you wanted on the table? Well,
4: yes, he desperately wants a rematch, and that's the topic he wants. Oh.
0: This is... The, um, I'm listening to, to nerds throw
4: lightning bolts at each other. Jesus. No, well, they weren't lightning bolts. They're little digital discs. It's Tron. I'm, to- I'm totally on board with that. I, I still, I still. The fireballs think- and lightning were the other exhibit.
1: Yeah, I did. That's actually the one. The one. No, I did try that one. Yeah, I tried that one. I didn't try the whatever the the ship explorer thing that I guess had like a dead body hidden yeah, in there. Yeah,
4: you. Can, I didn't try you can that spin one. Spin ships in VR now.
1: Yeah, I, I, yeah, I didn't. I didn't try that one. Um, but the the disc battle one, I I will never forgive myself for not trying it until the last day of the thing because it's had. I tried it earlier. I would have cycled through that line for like you know every time I could for the entire convention. I would have gotten so much less done as a CPM, but it would have been worth it.
5: Is dressing up and going into a forest throwing seed packets at each other not a thing anymore?
1: <laughs> that
4: involves outside.
1: Yeah, I'm. I'm not sure. Uh, I, I just outdoors. <laughs>
0: I don't. Know. I'm. I'm clearly. Like if if I ever go to Fans Fest and you guys are there, I'm we're clearly gonna have to find a gym and I'm gonna take you there so you can see what testosterone looks like. Oh, will be you finding stuff. your boyfriend,
3: Jay? Yeah, Cross I is actually go. um,
1: Cross, <laughs> Cross was what what did you get? You were trying to do and you got like they blew you off.
4: What? Oh, um, go snorkeling in the volcanic vents.
1: Yeah, see, see, Cross is like this this fancy outdoorsman person, so.
4: Which reminds me, someone in Iceland still owes me money for that.
1: You never got that back?
4: No, no. I've been trying to deal with Icelandair, and basically they've been ignoring me outright. Oh,
0: sort of culturally apropos, then.
2: Oh,
4: damn. And we just went there.
3: It's okay. All you have to do is... (laughs) Wait for two years, and maybe they'll have a plane crash randomly in the middle of a, an ocean when they really thought it was going to make it all the way around the world. And like then they'll realize that maybe they need to support their customers better. Just trying to extend the metaphor.
0: <laughs> Good deal. Oh, man. So, yeah... <laughs> I wouldn't say that this derailed because we never really had a rail to get on with this one. It was just uh, right before we hopped on. But back to the, Ocu- <laughs> yeah, the Oculus yeah, stuff. I was like, oh, well, I got to this Oculus Rift stuff I want to talk about. I was like, yeah, i fired up, man, but I don't have anything else. Go for it. <laughs>
4: um, By Oculus, he means I need a rematch.
1: Yeah, yeah, I kind of sidebarred because I, I really want a rematch with Cross. But um, no, the Oculus stuff that they announced this week sounded really cool, too.
0: I'm just—I just had an image flash in my head that I—I I probably am gonna have to like put my left eye out with a mechanical pencil. Uh, this yeah. image of Zell in Zell- a black, black nylon, nylon spandex outfit out with out like light LED light, light tubes wrapped, wrapped around his body. the body.
2: I—I can probably Photoshop this so if you really want to see it.
0: It's I think it's <laughs> important that you do that.
2: I, I, I'll carry right on that.
0: I'm I'm there, that could be your new top uh, suit skin. Oh <laughs>
2: shit! Yes,
0: we actually you should
2: probably talk about that. There's Taddy's post on Twitter.
0: That is pretty legit. That um, so uh, Poke Pokey did me a bro solid, and because uh, he knows uh, I am, and as we all are, really Deadpool fans at heart, um, he basically he made a skin called the uh, the Dead Sin skin. Uh, you know, basically for Jason's Deadpool skin. Um and he did a an absolute bang up job on it. Uh it was a really high grade image and he, he posted it. Ruchati grabbed it and he, he commented a couple times he liked it. Got a lot of a lot of push on Twitter. And then I think it was two or three days ago, um he posted back to, to Pokey and I on Twitter a Mimitar uh, medium frame in that in that color scheme. Because Pokey originally did it on a medium, a Caldari medium. It looked absolutely bitching on that uh on Mimitar. Uh, frame and I'm I'm more than willing to spend much of Zell's arm to get to get me a full set of those. So Ratati if you're listening and we know you are, I'm I'm just saying, I would spend somewhere on the order of near Denny Fleetfoot levels of money to get those dropsuit skins, bro. Just saying. Yeah, yeah, as I
4: said last time I was on the program, I don't even do the Caldari thing and. Fair enough. I think that no one is is as much of a Deadpool fan as Jay, but not quite as much of a Deadpool fan as Jay. And I would buy the full set of those skins. Kind of just have to.
2: Yeah, they look really cool. I, I still have yet to buy a skin because I refuse to pay how much they cost. But I might actually pay that much for a Deadpool skin because they they do look really pretty awesome in the actual client.
0: Yeah, the the only skin that I've got, other you know, other than the Apex suits, and when I ever turn the uh, like the stuff from the Covenant pack uh, into skins. I actually pulled a Serpentis skin, uh, skin the Galente medium frame from uh, from a lockbox the other day, which is actually a pretty bitchin' skin, by the way. not yeah. that can, Not that there's any environment that I can actually see it, because half the time in your merc quarters it doesn't actually show up.
3: Hmm. Hooray for bugs! Hmm. You're a. Uh, what what merc quarters do you have? Out of interest.
0: Uh, Caldari. Hmm.
3: Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if the other ones have graphical errors, but there have always been graphical errors in the Kaldari Merc quarters. Um, since <sighs> Uprising, I think. They like change some kind of effect. I don't know. It drives do. me crazy. Things flicker things flicker like if you so the steps that lead up to the upper platform in the Kaldari Merc quarters, if you back towards where if you were an Eve the ship hangar door would be. Yeah. Um, and you just kind of back all the way up to it, walk towards the stairs slowly, or, or backwards, <laughs> and uh, you'll see that the actual texture, like the act, changes. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's still there. If it's not, then it was before. And you can walk back and forth across a particular boundary, and those stairs just flicker, and it's really noticeable. Um, it's not even, the. it's not like it's purple, like missing texture, but it's really jagged. In one instance, so like very detailed, always drove me crazy. I don't trust that murders. I kind of wonder if the lighting they they applied to it, it somehow messed up other That's environmental effects.
0: It's dark as shit. I can tell you that. It's well, yeah. well. The the root of this though is like the, the, my uh, my snarky comment was really. It goes back to the fact of if you if you add visualization options to the game like vanity options then one must have a way with which to see your vain ass. Otherwise it makes really no sense for me to spend real money, like a lot of real money for a skin.
1: It's not for you to see it. It's for, it's to show off that you bought it to other people.
0: Exactly. Except here's the problem. Like I, what I've noticed is that a, in my Merc quarters where I get to see it, because you don't get to, don't, you're not in a war barge anymore. Uh you can't see it, so you don't know if it's on. And then when you get into the War Barge, I would say a good percentage of the time that I played last night, uh, the, nobody's skins were active in the War Barge when we were waiting for Faction Warfare.
4: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it is broken and unfortunate. And I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, but yeah, I... We'll just say Ritati was not happy when he learned that that bug was a thing because it was tested internally, it worked there, and then it, for some reason, stopped working when it was deployed, so there was frustration.
2: So they're still working on figuring out what the issue is then?
4: Um, I think that at least some of it has been tracked, but I don't know if that addressed all of it or you know why why there has not been a fix yet as far as that goes. I haven't heard back on it more. I just know that it was a thing that was looked into and um, was established that that was definitely not either a bug or quote-unquote feature, uh, and and that it was one of those things like this was going to be the rollout for skins, and that was cool, and then they weren't working, and that was aggravating. That certainly would be aggravating.
3: Cross, have ever told you that you're adorable when you're trying to dance around the NDA? <laughs> he does all
4: well, the time. Well, <laughs> this, is, this is why you like me
2: then, I guess, because that two-step is like my my standard walk these days i think last week was the best though when when zell said i'm I'm not gonna tell you anything and then cross spent a good five minutes talking without saying anything i said all sorts of things just because zell is bland doesn't mean that there aren't things to say you didn't say anything that had to do with the actual
4: question
1: that's why he's up for re-election and i'm retiring
4: there was no actual question except tell us stuff that was interesting yeah 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 Be specific and you'll get a specific answer. Of course.
2: Um, we should also probably mention that uh, Aon Amati, and we forgive us, we did not actually write an article on the blog. We should have. But Aon Amati was running a uh, design a skin contest for the community uh,
1: there was I suggested no intent. Someone write an article on it. Nobody did. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know. But yeah. So there was a, a Soraya Vell's
4: and- work, ethic, ladies and gentlemen. He suggested someone else do it.
2: It's management, really, right
4: there.
1: Excuse me. Who who exactly is winning the scoreboard for for? Post made on the. On the you uh, post blog. the podcast. It doesn't count.
4: <laughs> yeah. Also, you post old <laughs> patch notes. Let's remove all of those things and see what your score stands I at, buddy.
1: I, I've never posted old patch notes. Thank you.
4: Um, He's
1: getting there, though. guys. Can I? <laughs> no. Can
3: I take a bit of a moment for self promotion? My newer feed will be at biomass dot org. Is it or com?
1: Net or com. Both we, work. Net or com, but we we officially prefer Either net.
3: one. That's how cool that's how cool that is. So all of my Twitter posts biomess.com. I'm gonna win this.
1: Good luck with that <laughs>
2: one. Oh, lord. Anyways, so Animani was running a contest for designing a skin and the community pitched and I think there was I don't know, like 15 or so uh, entries and actually jadek Menah- menaheim won the contest with his doomheim skin and i guess uh, ccp frame and Rattati liked it so much they're actually going to be making it into an official skin which will be released for free in the upcoming newsletter so that's pretty neat that's kind pretty of, cool. It was kind of a hidden form post, and I know Frank posted it on Twitter, but people who don't follow Prime aren't going to catch that. So, uh, yeah, the, the skin looks pretty neat. It's it's really just a, a 500 by 500 image. I'm not really sure how they're going to translate that into an actual suit, but I think it'll be cool to see. And I think it's neat that they're actually opening up to the community to kind of, uh, or at least accepting a, a community made skin and, and putting it in the games. So that, that's pretty cool to, to note.
4: Yeah, there have been various murmurs about uh, community getting more involved in doing skins. I have yet to get anything official from CCP on it, partially because I will admit I have been somewhat distracted in talking to them about other stuff. But this is me going on record telling Pokey that yes, I will ask. Woot!
0: Oh, goodness gracious! So, uh, on uh, a- so Jay,
3: mm-hmm. uh, I was going to ask if you have another topic in mind because I, I, I have, have I some. have only
0: one. And I can I can literally almost drop the mic and uh, and we can walk away from it. Long story short, uh, I would like to to draw everybody's attention to the to the factoid that uh, the filming the principal filming for Deadpool coming in February of 16 is wrapped, and we are all patiently waiting as they. Go through the post post production and the editing and uh, start adding some polish to the, to the film. So, so, so you know, we're we're waiting for the uh, for it to start pissing Emmys and Oscars on this one. Uh, come around February.
1: So Jay, I have to ask. Um, I assume you've played, um, but I'll ask. Um, so a friend, a friend and I, um, I picked up the Deadpool game when it was on Steam, um, really cheap. And I guess um, they lost their license, and you can't buy it anymore. Um, but nonetheless, we've been playing through it, albeit extremely slowly, um, on occasion. Have you played the the Deadpool video game? Yep. What do you think of it?
0: I think it was actually pretty good if you like Mindless Slaughter, and that, they, they actually captured the character very well. I thought the gameplay is pretty vanilla, but it's actually pretty good. It's not bad. Okay, yeah. We're
1: enjoying our way through it. It's just uh, we tend to play other games when he's over, so we don't get to it very often.
0: Yeah, it's a it's a good example. It I mean it's definitely a single it's a single player uh you know third person shooter basically platform, you know, like action game. Uh I, I would the best way I could possibly describe it is maybe Tomb Raider for 12-year-old boys. Does that does that makes sense. Uh You can't um,
1: you can't play that. You can't let a 12-year-old boy play that.
0: Well, yeah, you could.
1: That's what you could. That's that's rated M, man.
0: I yeah. I'm, I'm, like, I'm just saying that it's a, that's the mentality of the game, and if you know a little bit about Marvel Comics and a little bit about Deadpool, you get an incredible amount of, and there's a, an absolute incredible amount of inside humor that's, uh, that's packed into that game that makes, makes it quite enjoyable.
4: Total sidebar, but I think that it would be really amusing if the standard ratings board went around and rated neighborhoods.
0: Throughout America? I'd have a lot of fun with that. I, I would I would literally quit quit my day job and do that for a living. If I <laughs> just walk up and judge people, oh my god. And get paid? For real?
5: You,
1: you can't judge individual people. You have to judge them no, no, the whole neighborhood.
0: No, 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 but you have to judge the individual people and then you take a cumulative score. And then, so you, then you can go with qualitative I, I, and quantitative I, metrics I, on how bad they suck. I
1: don't know. I don't think
0: you
4: you're to do that. just officially used a more thorough method, even describing it vaguely like that, than the movie ratings board does. This is true.
1: You, like the ESRB, they have like a secret council of moms that that come up with their ratings. I kid you not. It's 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 literally it's it, you should think it's some some sort of um, it's not really fair. It's, only it's, only it's a moms
4: glowing example of yeah. subjectivity, is what it is. <laughs> subjectivity.
0: Hmm. It's a, that's uh there's a good way to describe how most most of things work uh, particularly in, in the genre of gaming or media is that somebody else is making a decision on what they think you would enjoy and usually failing badly <laughs> would or should enjoy,
4: which is the,
0: the second bit is the part I particularly like you know like i, I when you said that I was I immediately let back to uh the patch right before Fan Fest, right right before the Rouge Wedding Fan Fest, it was the big, you know, patch with the, they released all you know all the all the heavy and all this other kind of craziness. And I remember they did like a, a like an assault assault class like rework or something. And the best they came up with was like reload speed for the Caldari assault. And everybody's like, "Are you fucking kidding me?" It was like universally panned. Like uh, other than like the one or two stray you know Soraya Zell comments on there about how badass it was, but universally, I mean, just generally, people just thought it was a horrendous idea. And I I I want to say it was Logi Bro, but it, it was somebody a fairly a, a fairly quote unquote well known dev basically says, well this is what we're doing and we think you'll like it. <laughs> and that uh, I just remember that thread exploded after he said that.
5: I think that was Saberwing.
0: It might have been, but I just I I just remember that and I was like, oh, there's I missed no this. What, way. What were we
1: talking about again? Uh,
0: it was it was a, a comment um, about how game developers, uh, particularly, you know, when they're not as in tune as they think they they are to the community or that they care to be in tune, they are often often developing the game because they think you could, would, or should like whatever they're doing. Uh, whereas the truth, as we've often seen, can take a very divergent path. And there was uh, – it, it was that throwaway comment by one of the CCP uh, folks uh, right before the Rouge wedding when, when people were beefing uh, about okay. the, uh, yeah. like the, the reload speed buff for the Kaldari assaults being their – that's their racial bonus. And, and the guy is bas- basically had his, his let them eat cake comment, which was, we think you'll like it. And it was just – I've never met that dude, whoever that guy was, I couldn't pick him out of a lineup, but just that if an email or text can have, if text could have tone, it would sound French and snooty.
5: <laughs> okay.
1: Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I personally think that uh, the the time you'll see the best game development is when you're not trying necessarily, actually, to develop, this is what I think people would like, but when it's someone who's developing the game, who has a real passion for the game, who's able to say, this is what I like. Because it's, it's much harder to predict what a bunch of other people like than to actually just know what you like. And if you have a passion for the game yourself, then what you develop for the game is going to, I, I think, show genuinely through that.
4: This is why I'm so obsessed with the concept of game vision and universal methods like the, the speed DHP re- ratio that Ratati suggested a while back. It's just that I think it's hard to make a choice about games in general with the uber hype train that is applied to almost everything these days. And with patches being ongoing, obviously tweaks will happen and we've seen how that can sometimes alter the fundamental function. But if you can at least have a vision that is supplied, an overall notion of what's being done and why it's being done, you can make some kind of a, broadly speaking, true, but some kind of an informed choice on whether or not you'll like it. Because no game, no matter what it is, is going to be for everyone, and no method of doing any type of game is going to fit everyone who likes the the game type in question. So it really is down to being able to make an informed choice about whether or not that's something you will enjoy, and you can't do that if all you're getting is hype, hyperbole, and sort of a moving target of the mechanics. That is a
0: pretty good, pretty good look at this in terms of yeah, yeah. I, I can't disagree with what you said there. Uh, I think I think it's a little bit dependent on the type of game and the type of. Uh, type of developer you're dealing with. Oftentimes, you know, people rage against EA and all these other guys, which, and, and there's many things you can rage against them on, but, you know, I, I, through it's good marketing or whatever, they do turn out games that a lot of people seem to buy. And for the most part, or at least some, at least their flagship games, they, you know, they enjoy. Uh, I do think that you get more of the passion uh, from the smaller, the smaller outfits. Uh, at least that's, that's sort of, where at least my general subjective observation is yeah well you get fewer of the
4: um reiterated things you know madden 47 and battlefield 82 and whatnot from the smaller ones but the the main benefit of those that i've seen as far as people enjoying them is much like franchises and movies where someone knows enough of what to expect that they can legitimately say yeah that'll be worth my time even if it's not highly inspiring they'll at least know that it's worth whatever they're choosing to invest in it because they can predict what the experience will be.
0: Now, uh, uh, that's, a, that's a good call. Uh, the other interesting thing is it's when folk. Uh, what I've noticed is when developers do things totally, uh, totally like in an isolated environment and as, I think to Zell's point, unless you really, really know the material and have a, and you're almost maybe working from like a, um, like somebody else's developed world or their developed construct, it's it's really difficult to understand what you're making, or at least the reaction people will have to what you're making until it hits, hits the public, and often then it's too late. You're you're getting your bad game pro review, like as you realize the mistake that you've made.
2: Yeah, I think that kind of sums up the original dev team's philosophy on the game, kind of in a nutshell. The whole, well, you want A and B, but we really think you're going to like C because they were so disconnected from things and didn't really. I don't want to say they weren't passionate, but it kind of seemed like they just didn't quite get it. And I think that's why Ratati has done so well, is because he's come from the perspective of a player, not a developer. And I think in that regard, he definitely gets it more than the the last dev team did, which is apparent in how successful the game has been since then.
0: Yeah, I think the other other issue that you ran into with that is that... um... There was at one point in time, not only did you think you were getting A, B, and C, but the rest of the Greek alphabet, along with like some Sumerian and Upper Tenosian, uh, you know, script as well. And oh, by the way, they told somebody, I guarantee you, that uh, what was his name, CCP Gian. I guarantee at one point, he probably told Hillmark, yeah, absolutely, this is gonna take like five months. We can knock this shit out. Like, too easy. We'll take a couple, couple days off next week, too. And then when it came time to, to stand and deliver, they determined, like, I don't have anything. There's no way we can do this. So then they get into this, let's just crank out as many bad things as possible to say that we hit the design marker and then pack that shit onto this download that's going through PlayStation. Uh, it, it's, when you're doing softwares, one thing I, ha- I, will, I will say this, the changes that CCP has made on their EVE side, when you look at what CCP Seagull has done, If you ever want to, to like, it's not even about video games. It's literally about just organizational management and the ability to apply efficient internally generated resources, i.e., time, effort, and internal monetary resources, to a given business product or effort or whatever. It has been an interesting sort of um, uh, an interesting time to observe CCP like Iceland over the last year. Ish, uh, They have changed dramatically in how they've been doing business. And watching how CCP sequel has reworked their entire output, delivery, and input cycle from the community, that's fascinating. Uh, and you see a little bit of that in what Ratati does, by the way. He, he has a, a very different set of, set of circumstances, uh, but he, it, is, it is not that dissimilar in terms of what are the most efficient ways that I can go about this. Um, and then he organizes time and resources against that, which is clearly what they did not do in the, uh, in the original you know, design team of, uh, of Dust.
3: Well, they were unfocused, right? I usually, I mean, we had some designers and developers that uh, didn't seem to be on the correct page, certainly. But I think even bigger, the problem was that Xian uh, didn't really have a scope for how long these things were going to take, or I almost think that everybody there, including, you know, people you wouldn't suspect, thought that putting something in the game and then iterating on it meant putting something that wasn't mechanically finished in the game and then iterating on it, which is not really acceptable. <laughs> which is really fascinating with Uprising, I guess.
0: It's probably a fair point.
4: And ultimately, that's kind of the point that I was looking at with Vision is just that games, as with any form of art, is a subjective thing as far as whether or not you enjoy it and what you enjoy. So the thing that you need most if you're looking to have an enjoyable experience is not what is correct or what is the way to do this it's how can we be effective at doing whatever it is has been decided to be done and then how can we communicate openly about what we have decided is going to be done so that other people can choose to participate if it suits them
5: wait cross are you are you saying that you're supposed to enjoy video games I know, it's a revolutionary
4: idea, but I'm trying it out. have to do something to keep it uh, fresh for CPM2 candidacy.
3: You and I are going to have fisticuffs. How dare you enjoy a video game? <laughs> I,
4: I know. I understand. You're uh, <laughs> my polar opposite in the political realm. You don't like to enjoy things at all. And I respect that, even if I disagree.
3: I, I mean, it's not just, just not wanting to enjoy it. You have to understand I enjoy not enjoying it.
0: This This is like... I, I've got to a total non sequitur here, but every time I, every time I'm in one of these podcasts and I'm basically silent because I'm basically surfing the web right now looking for you know things to throw out on the uh, on the show. I listen to these conversations, and I swear to God, I have these like incredible like visual images of what all of us would look like as we're sitting around a bar table. I, 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 it's probably, they're probably like nowhere near accurate to what you really look like, but it's just, I've, I'm imagining Stadler and Waldorf from the Muppets arguing as I listen to Cross and Lethar. So, and for for those of you who are old enough to remember who Stadler and Waldorf are for, they're the, the old guys that fucked with people from the balcony in the Muppets. Best Marley characters and Marley the ever.
4: Special.
3: Oh man. So, Jay, do we have room for that? What I was Please thinking. Do. Absolutely. If I go robotic, you guys interrupt me if it gets real bad. I'm not really sure how my connection's doing right now. Um so this is a discussion point, don't have anything with a definitive conclusion. But I'm going to ask for speculation. Do you think with proper polishing and that's a separate discussion, with proper polishing acquisition as a game mode, that it would serve better than skirmish? Uh, particularly for PC um, in terms of competitive game mode. Uh, To add some flavor to the beginning of the discussion, I've always felt like, well, I felt like for a long time, that Skirmish 2.0, the concept itself is very basic. It's, you know, capture points. There are tons of games that have done that. But there are implementation details, both in terms of the game mode and in terms of the game as a whole, that... Have really made that mode difficult to be evenly competitive. Uh, Even the simplest things. Sometimes the distance to different letters from different spawns is different. You know, like, up to, you know, is it really a competitive game mode or an enjoyable competitive game mode uh, when the spawning system is so broken that basically whoever gets to the letters in the first 30 seconds wins? Right. Um, now that that's the whole story of a skirmish match again tangential so that's the flavor, I'll open up the floor what do you guys think of that idea?
2: well, I will say I dislike the meta that happens in skirmish, particularly in PC which is excessive trenching where you're rewarded for basically getting in there first and then just setting up shop and you sit on that spot the entire time and pretty much just, you know, you're the, 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 the brick wall they're throwing, you know, feathers at. It doesn't it doesn't work. Where with the acquisition, it's much more dynamic. You're forced to actually get up and move. You can't just sit in the same spot the whole time. So I think in that regard, it would break up that meta that I personally dislike. Um Again, that's kind of a personal feeling on it, but I, I think that if, with some rework, uh, acquisition could probably be the best game mode we have. Um, but yeah, I, I wouldn't mind seeing that explored further. Uh, I think it certainly has some uh, potential, as you said.
4: I think if there were uh, a way to be- establish acquisition as a multi-point mode, that would be something. Yep. Also, a lot of the issues with skirmish right now, and you know, since Polish is pseudo on the table for the discussion. Um, it comes down to map design and relative size, because Manis Peak, for example, is not comparable to line harvest as far as how it plays, which you know is not comparable to, say, the bridge map. and And all of that, even though they're you know like diversified as far as content by only a couple of objective points, the play is very different just because of the shape of the map.
0: I think uh, I think you're if if you limit the discussion to an either or of acquisition or skirmish, um, I, like I see where you're going with it. So first, I do enjoy the acquisition mode. It is it maybe because it is different. Um, I I think acquisition lends itself more to perhaps the the raiding style of PC, uh, whereas skirmish lends itself to more of. Um, e- you know, you, you have you had to have a lot more on the ball to take and hold something, uh, it, it, if you know what I mean. It, it would require a lot more, I think, organi- organization uh, in PC where acquisition could very quickly, because you see it now, if you have like a competitive acquisition match, it's very much a big Zerg rush uh, from point to point. And so it, th- that will definitely change how the quote unquote PC meta looks like if you do that. I I like the idea of having maybe both game modes in there, depending on the district or the type. Um, That's just me. Uh, Or, you know, like if if there's like a rating style of PC, I I think acquisition would work really well for that. And not just because the name is acquisition and you're trying to acquire the other guy's shit. Uh, But I I do think that you could probably have a hybrid approach where there's, say, two or three key points in in a map that, that are static, that are always on. Then you've got, let's say, two other ones that spawn like acquisition. I don't know how how difficult that would be to implement, but you have sort of like, hey, here's the core. Here's like the you know like the district control control center. You know, it's where the in the power generation area where these you know two key key uh, panels are that you've got to hold, defend, you know, take. But then you've got these other ones that are in different locations around the map that spawn. Uh, that would give you both styles of play within a match. Uh, that would be probably my preferred way to do it is maybe tie the game mode to, to the type of match or kind of a little bit of a hybrid approach.
5: Well, well here's my idea. We, we take something like how acquisition has the spawning and despawning point, but we line them up in uh, a, a skirmish 1.0 sort of way. So you go into the first one, you have to hack that. Instead of a timer, it just switches right over to the next one that the guys have to hack and so on and so on, making defense points along the way. And we could use the uh, teleporter functions that they were trying out to move the guys from uh, the uh, defender's red line up to the front of the battlefield.
3: It's an interesting thought. Uh, and so to Jay's point, I would kind of uh, say as an aside, you know, maybe is there an amount of polish that can go into acquisition at its core that you think uh would be able to the mode i think it's a bit volatile right now um a little bit too volatile so it it could definitely use some amount of change to to really make it competitive uh, i think but you know do you think there's something in that space that could change it for you to where it would be acceptable um for pc 2.0 And a completely tangential discussion um, that Pokey and I had was about skirmish. Skirmish has a variety of problems, but one of the things that we tend to run into is that um, all that matters is about like uh, five square feet in front of the hack point. Actually, in reality, that's all you have to control to control a hack point Um, because of the way the hacking mechanics work. What would you guys think, if it were possible, and I doubt it is, but this is just kind of An interesting question. What would you guys think of changing the hacking mechanics, particularly for skirmish, to something more, for instance, Battlefield-esque, where you have an area of capture effect, or, or even making a hybrid system where there's still a panel that can, that hacking, which can accelerate the hack, but also an area capture mechanic where the team that has more players in a particular area starts capturing that point not as quickly as if they had hacked the point itself.
4: That goes back to terrain, at least for me, because if you can, say, saturate an area by Zerg Rush alone and there isn't any sort of interplay going on there, There, there's you know just an open area like the tabletop in, in Line Harvest, for example, then that wouldn't really be an improvement as far as I'm concerned because it just contributes more to the same type of Zerg and Entrench back and forth that we have now in both acquisition and skirmish, honestly. However, if it were a more interesting environment as far as the sockets where there's some potential interplay going on, then that could have uh, a, a lot of possibilities um like the uh the mushroom socket for example how there are multiple ways in and out of it and around if you had just the center was an area where you had that sort of effect that could be intriguing because you don't just defend one area to hold that and you don't have massive lines of fire to hold that you actually have to be reactive and aware to be able to hold a lot of space in that type of context
5: Uh,
0: Yeah, I could see, you know, one thing that that they haven't tried is uh, what if you had to get multiple hack points to secure an objective? Uh, I I think that would actually be pretty cool. And then you could also move the panels around to a lot of different locations. Um, So basically, like, let's say you had a, you kind of flip the script where if you, like some, in some points, maybe. Relatively more valuable than others, not just from the gameplay, but literally, then maybe they speed the MCC shit up faster, or you're you're conquering the district faster. But it might be pretty interesting. Uh, what if you had, in like the Gal Research Research Facility, which I know we all hate because of lag, but you go up into the upper deck where you're inside the like the science, science offices. There's like that, for lack of a better term, like a control room that's up there that you can get into. Great field of vision, and you can put a hack point in there. But you need to secure that, then you need to secure like one or two other ones in the same building to get like point A. I think that might, might be pretty interesting, uh, you know, doing it that way as well.
2: Well, we'll Well, that kind of goes back to something we did in, sorry, Uh, one mechanic that Mag had, uh, I'll use the sabotage game mode as an example, is that you basically had uh, an attacker and defender, and there was two points that the attackers had to capture, but the key was they had to capture and hold them simultaneously. Um, so you could just hold one and then go get the other one. You actually had to uh, defend and, and hold that first point while you captured the second point. And then if you were able to successfully do that, the consoles would go on a timer, uh, blow up, and then you would move on to point C, which is kind of a single point uh, domination style thing where you're all plowing into one, typically a tightly uh, CQC sort of area and you know duking it out for the, the final control point. And I think that, as you said, Jay, where you had to control multiple points at the same time to actually capture something would actually mix things up a lot better, and it does let you play with the terrain, and it does encourage more uh, planning and not just rush the point and and win uh, via saturation. You actually have to say, okay, we need these number of people to take this part of the point and these number of people to take this part of the point, we need heavies on the left, we need scouts on the right, that sort of thing. And I think that would probably mix it up and, and add a lot more depth to the game mode. And you could totally do it with existing maps. You wouldn't even have to go back to a, a skirmish you know, 1.0 style map. You could just have multiple points that have conditions to actually capture them. And I it worked well in Mag, and I think that we could probably adapt some of those themes and, and make them work for Dust as well.
3: Here's a Here's another thought that I kind of was just thinking about, thinking about what other games have done. Uh, What if, uh, and this could be done in addition to what, what you were just mentioning, Jay and Pokey, but what if they modified the hacking mechanic and just instead of making it a panel, they made a slightly larger area and did it kind of like made hacking somewhat like planting a bomb in Counter-Strike. I mean, call it an Entosis link or whatever, because you know Eve right now, but the the basic idea being you get someone with a special piece of equipment into the zone, or maybe not a special piece of equipment, and they have to make themselves vulnerable for a certain period of time within that zone in order to actually uh, affect the hack. Basically... Basically expanding the potential hacking area. It's not very different
0: than what we have now. The well, issue. Why? What? It, well, I guess my question is, what? What? I, I'm acknowledging what you're saying. I I don't disa- I'm not disagreeing. But why is expanding the area important? What is the root? Re- I was thing I was just getting... about to. Uh, I'm totally sorry. sorry. A,
3: no, no. It's it's funny. It's great. So here's the thing. Classically, in the it goes back to what I said before about like only having to control like four square feet. Of ground area, uh, in effect, in order to protect an entire objective and dust. We've had a lot of cases where uh, the map design allows people to camp somewhere either in the red line or on top of a building or, you know, a nook or a cranny or whatever with a forge gun or a rail gun or a sniper rifle or, you know, the mass driver, the list goes on, right? This is kind of the strategy, is to find somewhere that you can camp and all you have to do is control that one area and you can have disproportionate control of the entire field if if your defender is not reachable, say on an elevation. Um, And you can also have a lot of impact with uh, particularly heavies, very defensive uh, classes that otherwise are effective but are made even more effective by the time that you actually have to end. Um I think that the map problems in particular are exacerbated by that mechanic, so that's why I, I'm trying to think of ways to change
0: the um, way the capture mechanic works. Because well, let me that can happens I, a lot. Like, well, let me let me ask you a question. What 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 you sound like you're describing is not something. It it, it seems like you're coming up with a secondary solution to. to to maybe what is not the real problem. The way he framed the the issue, which I don't disagree with, by the way, uh, is it's more about the physical location and the, like the tactical architecture, literally like the architecture uh, and the terrain around the capture points. And in some cases, how that can supply a defenders generally should have advantages generally, um, but not overwhelmingly so, or, you put a a position out there that can be keyholed by a rail tank in the red line and nobody will ever touch it, something like that. Um, Okay, I acknowledge that that all all can can occasionally happen depending on where it is. So to me, I think it's more about just moving the capture point around. Uh, Now, the other part of that is I I think that there is something that we don't want to lose sight of is, you know, I think it's okay if you have like one out of – one or two out of five points on the map that you can control in ways like that, um, which then makes for some dynamic gameplay. Like you've got, you know, there's one or two like scout and or sniper team guys that are working to, to control or disrupt activity on a single point. That's an economy of force that you're taking away from your very finite number of 16 people to mess with the other four or five points on the map. Um, now, I'm not a big fan of... Like said, so, you know, keyhole shots from a red line. I don't. I I, I think that should probably be, um, be eliminated. But if you're if you're able to effectively disrupt or control a very narrow um, field division, very narrow target area, like as a sniper or like a forge sniper, I'm actually pretty okay with that. Because here's the reality: if I know that you can shoot into that keyhole, there's only generally a very few number of places that you can be and I can eventually make you go away, or I have to figure out how to deal with you in some way.
3: Yeah, so. but, like, I I get where you're coming from with the tactical dynamicism, and that was where I was originally kind of at with it, but over time, as I played more and more PC matches, you ran into situations, like, for instance, with the Forge Gun thing. Uh, the Forge Gun thing still can be kind of bad, but it's it's much mitigated from the past, because you might know where the person is, but actually accessing the area, the area that they're actually at is inaccessible in some way. Sometimes it's not just the red line, right? Sometimes it's elevation. Sometimes it's a, you know, you talk about a sniper position. (sighs) Dealing with that is variable. Sometimes you can, uh, sometimes you can't on certain maps. Um, I'm not saying that it's impossible. But my issue is that I think it's really hard to place the objectives consistently and correctly such that people won't find an abusable position, at least in with the current map designs and the current mechanics.
4: I, I don't think having abusable positions is actually problematic so long as, I guess, two major things happen. One, the types of assets that are needed to make them abusable differ so that you have to have some diversity and two i think that in many cases the number or or the the value of the objectives themselves due to the number that there are is it puts them at, at far too discrete a weighting and we see this with compounds as well where if you can essentially defend multiple objectives from one area that becomes problematic because then you just lock down that singular area And that's the entire match, whereas the more competitive maps are ones that have the objectives spread further, have more resources and more particular resources required to maintain a hold on them and, you know, some motion and diversity allowed to um, really have map dominance, which is kind of the problem that acquisition has in its current form is that while you do need mobility and it's less entrenched than dom, reducing it to one objective is putting far too much value on that singular objective and really flattens the gameplay pretty heavily.
3: I think like, let me illustrate another example that makes me antsy and it's made me antsy for a while. So uh, the biomass socket, Uh, it's used on the, or I think it used to be used on the production facility. Do they actually have a production facility now? I think so. Um, You know, the the one with, not the green mushroom one, but the blue one, maybe is the best description. Some people say, like, the towers map, whatever. It has that big central structure that overlooks an objective that uh, is down in some, some pits and concrete corridors. This is where other parts of the gameplay kind of cause the problem. Uh, in that, your counter, if people get up on this structure with, say, mass drivers or rail rifles, or heaven forbid, Vic- Victor's officer laser rifles, which are becoming popular recently, um, if people get up on that structure, it can be really hard to root them out, even if you do the right thing, which is take a dropship up there to root them out. Um, because of the spawning mechanics, it can be really hard to get drop-up links up there in a sustainable way. So, you know, you drive a dropship up there. Uh, if you don't leave the pilot in the dropship, you know, so that you don't spend an extra person than what you need, then your dropship is done once you get up there. Um, it, it's really expensive, and it's, e- it's, it's not just... You can easily be completely foiled just by, you know, happenstance of the way that skirmish goes, uh, one-on-ones, you know, with different people. And it takes a lot of time. This is just an illustrative example. I'm not saying that would be... I think that would be fine if there were ways that I could sustainably invest in spawning infrastructure up there and say, I'm giving up something, but I'm going to push you off this thing. But as it stands right now, anything that the current map design and hacking structure that we have encourages a lot of this race to the X mentality. There's just, on almost every map, there there's something that's not even interesting. It's just, you should get there with a dropship or on foot or, you know, with a tank. And that's just it in Skirmish. That's kind of why I'm well, the
4: point being that in current bandits. acquisition, it's the same thing. It's just smaller helpings of it. The cycle is faster, but the situation is identical.
3: Right. Well, the, the thing is, in current acquisition, because there's so many potential points, it, it's a little bit harder to... If you find an abusable position, then, in all hope, it shouldn't be constantly usable. If that makes sense, like, you know, maybe you win one cycle because you got one position, but yeah, it moves. Yeah, no
4: but but in once you know the points, like, yes, you have to relocate, but you can have people pre-locate to an abusable point for the next thing, which is something that I see in acquisitions a lot right now is you get one locked down and then you get the second one as soon as the cycle's coming up, people entrenching from an abusable position there in advance and so forth. So it's really the same sort of thing, it's the same context occurring, it's just occurring in smaller
3: cycles. That's true. I, I think that's a, a pretty good description. I, I think it works out better like that because if people are genuinely generally aware of what the different abusable things is are, there are there's a dynamic between putting your forces. And in every phase places.
1: you have a chance to be the person that's taking advantage of that.
4: True. It's just less of a chance than it would seem, because once you have abusable point A locked down, you need fewer forces to hold it than you do to take it. So then you can devote more forces to taking the next one, unless the opponents completely cede the current point.
3: I mean, the other thing Which is Which that... is a good
1: decision, I think. If if you're... If someone's you know really, really ground in, and you know, well, we can just get in the right position to To lock the next one that's a that's completely valid decision
4: it is and tactically it's very sound but it doesn't make for very interesting gameplay to essentially say well you didn't get there and grab this in the first 30 seconds set up to grab the next one rather than actually play or fight in the meantime and then the third one's going to be where the real game is because the first one's whoever gets there the second one's whoever doesn't get there and the third one's where the game's decided that's a lot of dead time and it ultimately doesn't shift the basic dynamic that was being discussed from skirmish
3: i mean the, the thing about uh, acquisition uh you're right i mean there's nothing that can repair the fact that the spawning system still really needs work um but uh, i do think that the way the maps have been utilized in acquisition in general is a little bit less um it's a little bit less squished in a lot of circumstances, if that makes sense, or someone can counterman me on that, but, like, a lot of times the objectives are in more open places, more open places than even domination, for instance. Um, and I think that's to the good, because one of the map design problems we have is that, uh, the original designers, of Dust like to stick skirmish objectives in tiny one-way hallways, like, you know, it it's not just one choke point, it's like there are five choke points um, in order to get up to the thing Um, I think Acquisition has a little bit less of that and also there's a symmetry thing that is completely unrelated to all of this in terms of the map design at the very least, if Acquisition has the same problems, then fine but I think that with the right polish, it would be essentially uh, symmetric at the beginning for both, uh, both teams and that would be something that I would like to see because something that's always minorly wrestled by Jimmys with a uh, with skirmish 2.0 is that nobody talks about it. But like there are minor differences on between the two sides of the map where you can spawn, and it's not like the defenders consistently have the better side or anything.
0: It's like it's completely random. So if if I were You know, your your point is well taken on that one because there's and there are some maps where it's much more exacerbated than others, like the pipes map map in particular. um, One side has a marked advantage over others in terms of where they can spawn and how protected their spawn is. Um, My my general thoughts on that is that if you are the defender, even if it's arbitrary in a pub match and it's a skirm, then all the turrets should be fucking blue when you get there. Like you're you're not racing you're you're not having a you know in the military parlance a meeting engagement you're already there defending, so uh, that that would be that would be part of where you know part of where I'd like it to go in terms of you know broadly uh, I I I guess my question is what what is the number of objectives you should have in a PC type match like how many objectives should there be five I think
3: Uh, I mean the. The real answer is that there should be secondary objectives. but
0: Correct. No, so let me put it this way. What I'm going, going for is I think, yes, I do think that some objectives should be worth more than others, and, and we don't do that. Like there should be different types of objectives, uh, and they, I think, should be worth relative value. That's part one. Part two, you should have enough objectives that you can cater the map or you can develop your own strategy to best suit the style of play you have. If you have a lot of people that run super flighty, you know, kin cat it up like men scouts and men assaults and it's like running guns or all the way, then you need to concentrate more on certain type of objectives that play to that play style. Uh, And whereas if, if you're more into kind of the ground and pound, Uh, heavier, kind of breach-assault-defend breach kind of style. Maybe there's other objectives that work for you, but I think my point there is you should have enough objectives that are meaningful in the map that it takes more than one single style of play to dominate the map.
1: Yeah, I I can see where you're coming from there. Um, I mean, so, because because I have friends come over and I only have one PS3, I've been playing a lot of Heroes of the Storm, and... One of the distinct things that you can tell is how it's done is if you have certain classes that are very good at at pushing down structures and whatnot. You you'll for, you'll generally try and distract people on one side so that so your your specialists can knock down structures. Or if you have a really strong team fight composition, you'll force team fights whenever possible so that you can get everyone down. Whereas otherwise, you'll avoid them if you don't. Um, and it's it what build you have heavily determines how you approach the game
3: i mean one of the things i've always sort of bemoaned uh and and this is this is getting kind of you know tangential in the sense that we don't have the resources to do this but really one of the other things that i think is a problem with skirmish thus in general really but skirmish is that we don't have any uh different uh tactical utility secondary objectives that are really useful um Right now we have the turrets, the CRUs, and the supply depots, and I say right now as if we haven't had them for three years. Um, <laughs> and throughout those three years, except in Skirmish 1.0, which was completely different, um, they've been essentially useless on a tactical level. Like, it's not that you never use them. It's I don't think I've ever said in my life, like, as an FC, man, we really, guys take four people and capture that supply depot we really like
1: well maybe not supply depots but crus tend to be pretty significant especially um on the rings map having the cru that's um within the, the the main facility there can be quite critical
3: it depends if you can do without it if you have enough people with uplinks usually it's a smarter move just to not have it unless you control that entire area I don't know a- if I,
1: I don't know if I agree with that from from my experience playing on that map in PC which is admittedly it's been a while since I've played that map on PC but it, I I've that's it's such a a powerful thing because you can't just clear it out like an uplink
3: well typically where the uplinks go is up on those catwalks though and if you can get control of those as opposed that's that CRU, you, usually you have enough control over the central area the path. And, I mean, usually that's not where you want to jump down from, but you want to have. Jump I mean arco- The Jumping point yeah, is jumping
1: the path down at past time. Dangerous, and I, I don't know. I will agree to disagree.
3: Uh, sure. I, I guess it's just a in, ex- in my experience, I'll say kind of in general, I've found it. So even if CRUs are sometimes useful, they're typically not useful in the way that I wouldn't rather destroy them. Because they're so easy to flip, and sometimes inconsistent.
0: I, I would, by the way, you, you struck on something. I, I think the CRU is a good tool that is horrendously utilized in the game. Um, it, I I actually think CRUs generally, if you think about the concept of it, it should be something that you're using to establish a beachhead or to reinforce an area that you're defending. I would, I would offer that CRUs should be incredibly difficult to hack, which t- to me would make them more valuable. Like If the hack speed on a CRU was similar to that when you're trying to, to reflip a point, you know, where it's almost like double or more than double the, the hack time, I think that would be probably, A, more realistic and slash legit, if we can say that in a sci-fi game. Um, it would m- much more increase their value in terms of... Um, you would want them. Does that make sense?
3: That'd be interesting, and it'd it also lend a little bit more utility to code breakers, just tangentially, which uh, is an interesting thought. Well, see, I guess. Go ahead, I'm sorry. I said, I guess one thing that's sort of floated around my mind is to uh, make it a long flipping cycle, like it's not a long hack in the sense of you standing there and pressing buttons, but it starts flashing like a letter instead of flipping instantly. Hold on just a second. I,
0: I think that would be good. Uh, the other thing I would I would say, uh, you know, Lether mentioned uh, earlier the Entosis link that they use in Eve now, which is uh, it's basically a, a modular piece of equipment that you fit on your ship that allows you to hack quote unquote instructions that are an, an old school four gazillion hit points worth of damage to it, which can take you forever and it's incredibly boring. I would I would say that if you want to increase some uh, you know the complexity of the game is that you you really extend you make the hack times much longer or if you don't have hacking up to a certain level like the like panel might be worth you know whatever level of hack it is you know like it's a level three encryption that means you probably you're going to have almost no chance or it's going to take you forever to hack it. Without a uh, a hacking mod, uh, if your skill level in hacking isn't up to at least three or something like that, I think that there's ways that they could so they could nerf, use Nerf,
1: that. nerf new player playability even further.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, when you say nerf new player playability, there's also the component of think of the tools that you could then use to customize your districts. Like you could have you know encrypted encrypted. Uh, you know, whatever the fuck's on there, you know, higher virus strength, you know, uh, as you upgrade your district or whatever. But my, I mean, to me, like, if you're a new player, sure, there's probably some that you should be able to do. Like, in pubs is one thing. I'm talking about, like, in PC or even faction warfare. Or if you've got, like, that, if you have, like, a three, like, a three point map, there's one point that's like a higher level point that is worth more. That's It's the relative value of the point, but it also should have a relative increase in the difficulty of securing the objective.
2: Well, one thing that I was found interesting about hacking in, in Dust that differed from other games is that you start hacking, and if you walk away from that hack, when you're half done, it resets back to zero, which I was more used to the mag style, where basically you had secondary objectives or primary objectives even, where you would typically plant a bomb the bomb would blow up and then that basically meant that the attackers had control because it wasn't working and helping the defenders anymore but the uh, defenders could come in and start repairing that objective and if they walked away from it that repair didn't go down there wasn't a, uh an automatic reset and what that allowed you to do is that even if it was going to take a long time to repair it you could still kind of whittle away at it bit by bit even if you didn't have really strong control of the area and eventually you know, get that that Piece of infrastructure back up and i'm almost wondering what would be interesting if we had a, a hack mechanic where it was more of a, a tug of war where you didn't have to finish the hack to actually put a dent in controlling that point and so like what zell said when you have uh you don't want to you know cut out that new player experience you can still run around with a crappy uh you know hack fit and it's gonna take you a long time but you can still make a difference you don't have to finish that hack to actually you know do something so i mean you're encouraged to have those code breakers to to do it quicker. To make more progress more, you know, in a faster manner. But you could someone there as a player and make a dent and maybe only get it 25%, but then someone else can come back later and finish it up for you.
4: Uh, I'm all for the NPE, but I don't think that scaling PC is really the place to be looking at as far as trying to make sure the NPE is strong. And it's kind of the opposite end of the spectrum, which I mean, I know we've been sort of migrating around from thing to thing, but. As Lether initially framed it, it was a PC concept, so I don't know how much the NPE really applies. Um, it would be interesting, however, to have to have that hack mechanic apply to either primary or secondary, but not both, thus allowing for different styles of play being needed to secure different objectives. Like if you wanted to have a thing that was, um, whether that's primary or secondary, objective did not lose hack, as as you work on it, then saturating the area with a bunch of players who aren't specialized makes a lot more sense, whereas for the other type of objective, kind of what we have now, it would make a lot more sense to have someone who's specialized to hacking or focused on it.
3: I will say that one of the other things about CRUs, there are two things that I always feel like obligated to barf up whenever these are discussed, because I think CRUs uh, stationary area, is a component of almost every FPS game. Um, like there are some that are very simple that don't have the idea of being able to control spawn point, but you know, uh, many do. Uh, the other thing that really needs to change, but is like probably out of scope, is uh, it, we need to figure out some way to actually have good spawn protection so that you, when you spawn at one of these things, you're not disoriented and shot before you actually get your orientation and no, the cloak and not moving does not count <laughs> because
0: uh, I the- could buy that. I mean, there, there's, I think, I think there's definitely some uh, some things that they could work on with that. I mean, to be honest with you, there's basically things in the UI like the actual heads up display that could be probably be tweaked to help you with that in terms of situational awareness about what's around you. Um, you know, orienting you to to where you're at versus what you're looking at on the screen, because a lot of times what I find is even when you go to like a ground spawn, not even like a CRU, just like like you said, just regular old spawning anywhere, you will inevitably spawn facing like a blank wall or some random shit like that, and then you're trying to we, you know, spin yourself around to the right location to orient yourself to whichever objective you're going to. It's not, it's usually not very intuitive and mildly aggravating sometimes.
3: Well, go ahead,
0: Pokey.
2: Yeah, I could even buy something where I'll use a CRU as an example. Where you you spawn into the CRU, but once the spawn finishes, uh, instead of your body just popping out, it actually goes to like a third person camera above the CRU, and you can kind of look around and get your bearings, and then you can pick from you know five spots you want to spawn out of out of that CRU. So if you have got a guy that's sitting and camping the back left corner, well, then you can say, I want to spawn on the forward right. And that way you can actually, you know, kind of uh, defend yourself against those camping uh, mechanics and and actually pick where you want to pop out. You know which direction you're going to be facing. You know what's around you when you pop out. It actually makes the CRU uh, a little more safe to spawn out of because you have a little more control of what's going to happen when you finally hit the button and actually pop into the match.
0: You know, I tell you what, like a total... I, this just popped in my head when you said that. You know what'd be really, really fucking boss is if they had a small blaster turret that was with some very aggressive AI that was sitting on top of a CRU. So not only did you get the the spawn point, but you got the aggressive small turret that's like in an open I remember position.
1: small turrets being in the game. They were so cool. Those
2: were cool. Well, and actually, what you basically described, uh, Jay, aside from the AI, was bunkers, again, from MAG, where you had to push past bunkers, which were spawn points, they're basically CRUs, and trying to take those things was an ordeal, because that turret was nasty, and you either had to blow it up, or just, you know, swarm it so bad that they couldn't keep up, and even that had a, a mechanic where you'd we'd have a guy laying on top of the bunker in heavy armor, repairing the turret to try to keep keep it up to actually help fend people off. And it was it was awesome. It was a lot of fun. And I think giving CRUs a, a means to actually defend themselves and let players, even if you want to have a guy in the CRU using the turret to keep people off of the, the spawn point, I mean, that would be awesome because I think that would make capturing CRU is actually difficult rather than just rush one guy in, you know, speed hack it, and you're, good, you're done. And I think I'd, I'd love to see more depth and more things that people could actually do to to make that spawning a little safer and more interesting.
3: I mean, altogether, yeah, the idea being that at the core as an FC, I have, especially back when the CRUs had less health. When I took control of an area, when my team took control of an area, I'd be like, hey, do we have an extra tank that's not super busy for, you know, 30 seconds? Come blow the CRU up. And we'd we'd own it. And people would be like, you know, oh, it's going to be minus 50 points. (laughs) You know, it's like, we own it. I don't care. Just blow it up. Because right now, they they are sometimes useful. I'm totally not, you know... uh, trying to take away from that. But as a tactician, I've most often felt like they were just gonna screw something up more often than uh, really having a positive effect. So even as an attacker, it's like, how many times have you run up, taken a CRU that's outside of one of the objectives, and then actually proceed to push one of the objectives if the objective was well defended in the first place? Usually, you would have done the same thing with uplinks if if you were able to pull that off, you know.
0: Yeah, no, I, I could see that. Uh, let, hey guys, since we've been on for a while, I uh, just wanted to because uh, we could continue to rattle off on this one for a while. Uh, it's some really, really fun topics actually to kind of talk through, and this is these, these are usually like a good example of the um, over a beer slash over a cup of coffee conversations that. Uh, would be pretty fun to, you know, that you could probably have almost reminiscent of um, like a fan fest. Like if you actually had retired in here, and you're all just like, we're all just bullshitting at a table, just trying to talk through this. Um, it's an interesting way of of looking at the problem. You've got a lot of experience in the in the room, so to speak, um, and we all actually have a, a a fairly a fairly diverse background in gaming and in uh, actually our individual perspectives on how we do things. But I think we can usually find the commonalities in terms of what is the root problem or the root issue that we're trying to discuss, which I think is probably a good marker that it's an actual issue that needs to be discussed and addressed. So what I would like to do is, barring any other um, like serious you know comment, commentary on anything, I'd like to kind of roll into shout outs, uh, if you guys don't mind. Is that all right? Yeah, sounds good to me. Okie dokie. Um, so I'll tell you what we're going to do. We'll start at the bottom of the list uh, with poking and then we'll push through our shout outs and uh, we'll give a quick pitch for CPM candidates hopping on and having a chat with us. Uh, by the way, Moss Delt had to leave. He had a uh, he had a, a real life thing that was going on. So he messaged us over in, in Mumble. He'll, he will try to be back in a future show. Um, we were going to dedicate a, a little bit of block of time to him uh, so we could talk to him a little bit about his CPM2 candidacy so with that, Pokey, you mind give us a shout out? Uh,
2: Shout outs Um, I guess just do a shout out to uh, CCP Ritati and CCP and whatever they've got brewing uh, behind closed doors I think we all have a pretty good idea of what it is Um, and I know it's probably a lot of work and really crazy for them there so hopefully we'll get some news soon but I think it'll be interesting at the very least so props to them, thanks guys
0: yeah, it's tough when somebody, like, does a screenshot from a PC client of a Dust game and doesn't know that they did it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I just noticed that today. It's kind of fun. Okay, um, let's see. Zell?
1: I'm giving my shout out to all the Star Trek nerds I hung out with this weekend.
0: Did you wear plastic ears?
1: No, I did not. That, that 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 is not a thing I would do.
0: Did you dress up at all?
1: Uh, not this year, no.
0: Oh my god, that means you've done it in the past. Okay, alright. Lether? Lether you're coming in broken and distorted. Uh, I can't.
3: Any better? Vaguely. Uh, uh, how about now? Absolutely. Uh, I have no idea. If I do again, then just get me. Um, I'd like to give a shout out to Central Florida. I drove down State Route 40 uh, a couple days ago, and it was just like driving through the yearling, complete with childhood trauma. So that was really cool. So shout-outs to Central Florida, because if I don't shout-out, nobody will, because there's nothing there.
0: This is probably true. Okay. Cross. Um,
4: shout-out to the hamsters. Hopefully you will be able to be healthy and happy again and allow us to have squads once more. And shout-out to the CCP devs in Shanghai, who have been working so much lately that, yeah, well, as, as Pokey said, it will be interesting to see what comes of all of it. Are you still talking, or did you actually pick your
0: hand off the push-talk key?
4: I did not, but maybe there was a hiccup.
0: (laughs) Uh. Okay. Uh, Last thing we got was shout-out to CCP devs that are working hard. Anything other than that? And shout-out to Deadpool.
4: Hopefully you can uh, manage to make all of Jay's dreams come true.
0: Yes. Yes, you can. Okay. Okay. Couple quick shout-outs tonight to the cake lady at the Hagens in Olympia, Washington. Thank you. Uh, you know who you are, and the odds of her listening to this podcast are so infinitesimally small. <laughs> it's it's amazing. And for those, those of you that have no idea what I'm talking about, if you were only in the biomass green room Skype channel, you would know. Um, part two. Uh, Shout-out to Sir Manboy who is has uh, spent several hours today perfecting his Flying Go-Go Plata technique. And if you know what that is, please email slash slash message into Zell and explain that to him and explain why he needs to learn how to master the Flying Go-Go Plata. And other than that, I think that's all I got. So we're going to go ahead and uh, kind of, as we say on the show, land the plane or i.e. crash the dropship if I'm flying it. Uh, and we'll bring episode 58 to a close. So, guys, uh, again, appreciate you hopping on for uh, for Lether and Cross, hopping on, and Moss for coming on for at least a few minutes. So with that, guys, good night and good luck.